Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hey, Brittany. Hi, Connor. So uh, as at the time we're recording this, tax day just happened, and uh, everyone has to fill out their taxes. And it's also somewhat close to the period where um, I, I don't remember what people call it, if they call it like something other than tax day, but it's the, the date at which you finally start earning your own money. In other words, most adults, you know, with all the taxes they pay, they pay on average like a fourth or a third of all their money. And we're talking income taxes, sales taxes, property taxes, and all the rest. And, and so if you add all that up and say, okay, let's say just for super easy math, let's say I earn $100,000 and I have to pay $40,000 in taxes. Well, that means for like the first three or four months of the year, I'm just working for the government oh, because all of that of money like that. is the, the 30 <laughs> or 40%. And then only when we get past that date, do I finally start earning my own money? So we as adults love to complain about our taxes and rightly so because, you know, taxation is ultimately theft. And, you know, teenagers who get their first job are always shocked when they open their pay stub and they're like, oh my gosh, the government took so much money. And a lot of people don't question this. Uh, a lot of people don't understand the history of these taxes. So today I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the income tax and how did this start? So we have the income tax today as a result of a constitutional amendment, because in the United States Constitution, the founding fathers limited how the government could collect taxes from people. And, and I'm not going to get into all the particulars. It's a little complicated, but they basically said you cannot do a direct tax on people. Okay, you had to follow this like weird formula and it made it really kind of complicated and indirect. But, but, Cong but the founding fathers in the Constitution, they said you can't directly tax people. So we didn't have a federal income tax. And so there were a lot of people who wanted one. There were a lot of people who wanted to grow the government. And for that, they needed more money. And so uh, they created the income tax. Now, what's fascinating about this is that the income tax was adopted in 1913. Congress had passed it in 1909, and then it has to go out like a constitutional amendment, has to go out to all the states, and then I think it's two-thirds of all the states have to ratify it or agree with it, and then if enough states do, then it becomes an amendment to the Constitution. What's fascinating about this is that year, 1913, is a horrible year, Brittany. You know, you yes. know why. <laughs> it was not a great year. Like, like if we could go back, you know, and, and back to the future or whatever, and like go back and change some aspect of history, you know, 1913 would get my vote because not only did we get the income tax, um, we also then got the Federal Reserve. So similarly, Congress passed it and it was enacted in 1913. So all of a sudden, the progressive, this was called the progressive era right, the early 1900s, all of a sudden these progressives who wanted to grow the government, they had two huge new sources of funding. They had the income tax, which we're talking about today, where they could directly tax you and I and take money from us to grow the government. And then they also got the Federal Reserve, which as all of our young readers know, who've read The Creature from Jekyll Island, right, the Federal Reserve just prints new money, which uh, lowers the purchasing power 
of the existing money. So it's basically a hidden tax because you're stealing purchasing power from people. You're not taking their actual money. You're just printing a bunch of new money uh, and, and creating problems. So 1913 was this landmark year for growing the government. But it wasn't the first time that the United States had an income tax. There was an income tax before then to fund the Civil War. It was called the Revenue Act. And so in some of these attempts, there were challenges of the legality because, again, the Constitution was very clear. Of course, in a war, oftentimes, you know, politicians and even judges are like, oh, we'll suspend this, you know, and we're not going to pay attention to this because it's a war and we really need the money. And so, you know, the government was using force, which is what taxes is, to fund something as unpopular as a war. And, and so the question is here they were doing a, a direct income tax on people. They wanted to help support the Civil War. The question, maybe I'll ask you, Brittany, is do you yeah. really think people would voluntarily pay for something like this if they didn't have to? No, and I think there's a lot of people who who like, you know, welfare, the welfare state who will pretend that they would. But I think if we lived in an era where, like, let's say until up until now, no one had ever had an income tax before and you tried to put an income tax in place, I think and I'm just guessing, I think like 99% of people would not be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just my hunch. I, I think you're right. And I think, um, I, I remember the story of Henry David Thoreau when mm -hmm. uh, he wrote a pamphlet called Civil Disobedience. And what's fascinating about this story, he, he basically, uh, he wrote it after he landed in jail because he refused to pay a tax that was being used to fund at the time, uh, this was in the 1800s, uh, the Spanish-American War. And he objected to the war. He thought it was unnecessary, problematic, and so he refused to pay the tax. He was thrown in jail. Uh, his, I think it was uh, mother-in-law or aunt or someone bailed him out. And, and so that was his kind of experience that led him to go write a, a remarkable pamphlet. If you guys haven't read it, you can find it online civil disobedience by Henry David Thoreau, where he says like, hey, like, you know, do we exist to just obey every whim of every politician that we call laws? Or are there is there something more fundamental that that is really a law? I share this story here because that arose from him objecting to a specific tax used for a specific purpose. So even here with this example of funding the Civil War and the Revenue Act, which created an income tax to fund the Civil War, Right. It, it's this one to one relationship. Right. Your money goes to fund the Civil War. And today, the problem that we have is that all the money goes into a big pot of funds, you know, a big bank account that the government has. And and so the Henry Dura David Thoreau's of the world today don't really have a way to say, hey, that that NSA spying program, I object to that. I'm going to refuse to pay the tax. Sure. Throw me in jail. Do whatever you're going to do. But I'm not going to pay the tax that goes to 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 that program everything's all all mixed up. So I, I think in some ways it's harder today to object because everything is mixed together. But in this particular act, this revenue act that we're talking about, this first income tax, poor people were excluded. So this was only, you know, making the more wealthy people in America pay the income tax. And even then it was a limited law. It expired after the war probably because Congress knew that there were constitutional problems with doing this. So they were trying to use the war as an excuse to do it. And then they said, hey, look, after the war, this will uh, this will stop. And so then the government tried to pass a, a new income tax. Everyone would be taxed the same amount. But the Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional. Someone filed a lawsuit. They challenged this law. They said, hey, that's that's not allowed under the Constitution.
went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in 1894, they agreed. They said, hey, no, the Constitution says you can't do a direct tax on people. And so fast forward about 15 years, there's a lot of these people who are still wanting an income tax and they decide, okay, let's do a constitutional amendment. And so they were led, you might say, by President Taft, who's the president at the time. He was a big champion of the income tax. And so they, you know, applied a lot of political pressure and they got enough people to vote for it in Congress so that it could then go out to all the states for the state legislatures to debate and then consider ratifying. Now, there are some people who argue that the 16th Amendment was never properly ratified, um, that, you know, not enough states did it, that the text that people were voting on, the actual words was different than what was, you know, finally adopted. So there's some, uh, I'll call them theories. I don't use that word to, to, um, Oftentimes people say, that's a stupid conspiracy theory to try and attack it. These might be true ideas. I've not, or true theories. I've not investigated them enough to know, but I've, I've seen, I'm sure Brittany, you have as well, many who, who suggest that there's problems with how the, the, uh, the, the income tax was actually written yes. and passed. And, and so what they did in the 16th Amendment by amending the Constitution is now they could get away with a direct income tax because the Constitution was now changed and they could um, directly tax people. Now, at first, the income tax, like you, uh, you, you've you had bosses, you've had, you worked for other companies, not just yourself, right, Brittany? Mm -hmm. And so when your taxes, when you pay your taxes, how is that taken from you? It is taken out directly. So I don't ever have to worry about it. But the funny thing is, because I work for myself and I work for companies, it's kind of different now. I always end up having to do kind of both. But yes, when you work for an employer, they take it out for you. And that's called... Do you remember, remember what they call that? No, I can't. Withholdings, right? Yes, yes. Your withholdings. And so this, this, this isn't how it first happened. At first, people were directly taxed. And it's like, hey, you owe this much and you must pay this. And what they found would be better was if they could require employers say, hey, before you pay Brittany the $1,000 that you owe her, you need to withhold the taxes and send it to the government and then give the rest of the money to Brittany. So Brittany doesn't even have a choice to really object because the money's being taken from her. We're just going to make it convenient. And the other problem that that creates, in my opinion, Brittany, I'll throw it to you after this to see if mm -hmm. you agree. I feel like, 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 okay, let's use you as an example. You have an employer, you also kind of freelance and have other money that you earn. So you also have to, you know, pay taxes separately on that. I feel like, um, in your situation, it's, problematic when the tax money is withheld because you don't really feel the pain. You don't really see the problem as much. But if the end of the year came and all that money that you earned, the government say, oh, here's how much you owe for taxes. And you had to write, let's say, a really big check and you had to pay a bunch of money in taxes. I think you and everybody else who had to directly pay these large amounts would apply a lot more pressure on Congress to lower taxes. They would complain a lot louder because it would be more, shall we say, concentrated or, or bigger. And they'd be like, what the heck? I'm paying this much money. But when it's being done slowly and incrementally every couple of weeks and you just kind of get used to it, you don't really feel the oppression. You don't feel that the tax is is that big. Tell me if you feel any differently. I think that's absolutely true because, I mean, I was, I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of taxes anyway, but 
when I had to fork over thousands and thousands of dollars, like write a check, that was so much worse. Because <laughs> then you're just like, yeah. oh, I don't want to do this. So yes, it's easier when they just do it for you. You yeah. don't feel the pain as much. And so now we have today a government agency called the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, which got its name in 1918, just a few years after. And they're basically the enforcement arm. Uh, so if they ever think that you have not paid enough taxes, they'll send an auditor who will look through all your bank accounts and look through all your receipts and make your life miserable um, to basically make sure that you've paid everything that the government has required you to do. And there's an entire industry uh, of, of companies and services and products that exist to make paying income taxes a little bit easier because it is so complicated. It is so convoluted and messy that you or me, Brittany, sitting down, especially like in your case where you have multiple streams of income and, um, you know, then you buy a home and then you have kids and all these things, it gets complicated. And it's very difficult for the average taxpayer to do it themselves. So not only are they having to pay taxes, they're having to then hire someone to help them with their taxes. And it's just siphoning more money away from people because things are so complicated. Now, Brittany, the question I have for you is, why do you think the tax system is complicated and do you think that's intentional or not? It's 100% intentional because the more complicated something is, the more you're just going to give up and just, okay, I'll give you whatever you know you say I owe you. You'll notice like sometimes, like I had to get a refund from an airline today and the amount of documents they make you fill out for a refund, they do it, I think, because if you, you're going to give up on like the second form and then they're just not going to have to refund you, right? But it was you giving up on that and the tax code is the same way. The more complicated it gets, the more people are just like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, I'll comply with it. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely intentional. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, I think those in power want us to be confused. They want us to be disempowered. They want us to feel like, you know, oh, I, I this is, is too confusing. I'll leave it to the experts, you know. And, and they say, oh, we're the experts, you know, trust us to, to manage everything. Look, our founding fathers of this nation, they fought a war to make sure that people were not abused through taxation. And, and, you know, it wasn't about the income tax. There was, you know, a stamp act and a sugar act. And, but these, these, these taxes were so tiny. And that's the, the final point. Maybe I want to uh, share before we end is that when people were convincing Americans to amend the constitution, Hey, let's create a direct income tax because, you know, we just, uh, we got this war and we need to be able to pay for things. And so let's, let's better provide funding for the government to give us all these services that we need. Well, they knew just like when they did the civil war revenue act, they had to exempt the poor people, right. Who couldn't even afford it. And so it was the wealthy people paying when they proposed the 16th amendment, when they created what today is now our income tax law, it was a teeny tiny fraction of what it is today. And, and they said, oh, look, it's just a tiny, I remember what it was, like 1% or something like that, right? It's just a 1% tax. You know, that's all we're talking about here. It, it, this is no big deal. Everyone can afford it, but this will provide stability to the government for its finances and things will you know, be much better. Well, of course, it's like the camel's nose in the tent, right? You've heard that that parable or that I've story before. I've never heard that at all. You've never heard that? <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Well, Super quickly, the camel's nose in the tent, you know, it's uh, think Arabian desert, the wind is howling, sand is everywhere, the guy's in his tent and his camel's outside being subjected to all the wind and all the sand getting in his nostrils and everything. And so the camel's like, oh, can I please come in the tent? And the guy's like, no, there's no room. 
And then the camel's like, oh, can I please, you know, just put my head in so that I can breathe? Oh, no, there's no room. So then the camel finally says, can I just please put my nose in the tent? And the, the you know, guy is like, okay, fine, you can put your nose in the tent. And so the camel puts its nose in the tent and then slowly but surely and incrementally it starts moving its way in to the point where it then pushes the guy out and it now controls the tent. And so camel's nose in the tent is just a way to say that oftentimes bad things happen incrementally and it starts mm -hmm. small and it doesn't seem like that big a deal. It's just this tiny little tax. It's just this tiny regulation. It's just this small government program, but inevitably it grows. Inevitably it gets bigger. And certainly the income tax is like, you know, 20 times bigger than it was when it was first introduced. And, and again, the founding fathers fought a war over much less. And now we have all this oppression in the form of the income tax. So lots more to learn. You can go read the Wikipedia page. You can go look up documentaries. There's all kinds of stuff here. But the point is 1913 was a dark year for America, yes, it was. certainly because of the Federal Reserve, but also because of the income tax. We're going to leave it uh, there for now, though. Brittany, great talking to you as always. And uh, until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.